watching. I know what I've been watching. I've been watching the Golden Age like a mo. I, I swear. I love the Gilded Age. That's it. Whatever it's called. It's the Gilded Age, not the Golden Age. Golden Age came later. On YouTube, there's a woman talking about it, and she refers to the black girl as the maid. And She's I'm like, secretary. I'm like, at no point did that even come up, and the maids are pissed because she outranks them, and it said so. Yeah. You know, and so for people who have not seen it, The Gilded Age comes on HBO every Monday night. Robert Barron's and people in weird clothes. I I really hate that it's only one episode a week. I feel like yeah. it's like 1995 or something. I Just should give be me, able to stream it. I should be able to the whole binge thing. It. Just binge. binge. Yeah. Like, I really want to know what's going to happen next. I don't want to wait. I didn't realize that in Just Like That was weekly because yeah. I hadn't watched it. And then I, by the time I came on, it was already at the seven, so I was able to binge it. Mm-hmm. And then I expected the same thing of the golden age. What's it called? The Gilded Age. Okay, so that show. I expected the same thing. And now you have to be there every week. And so the Gilded Age. But isn't that like, sort of cool? Isn't that sort of old school? What? Like, to, you sort of anticipate it. Like, what's going to happen to Madlock next week? <laughs> Madlock, yes. Which I did enjoy Madlock as a kid. Uh-huh. But back to the Gilded Age. You know, for people who haven't seen it, it is very much a period piece. It's yeah. uh, set in, I think, 1870s, 1890s? 80s, no, no. 80s. 80s, 80s. I think it's 1880s. Yeah, because it's New after York. the Civil War, but a little bit after. Yeah, but it's not quite the 1900s yet. No. So everybody's still really laced up in their courses. You know what's weird to me is they had land, but they built their mansions like New York is now. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't get that. Why they didn't spread out more. Like a Californian. I guess, well, you know, New York is just this little island. It's really not that big. Because uh, I've walked the majority yeah. of Lower yeah, Manhattan. You yeah. And, you know, I mean, my foot hurt when I was done. But, well, you can do but the you whole can thing. do it. But yeah. you can do the whole New York walk, and it's not that long. So I is think. Is it as long as the strip, I wonder? I'm sure it's long. I'm sure it's bigger than the strip. But. I think that, um, you know, as they started to move more north, as they called it, yeah. which got towards Harlem, you know, because there were uh, rich people in Harlem at one, part, at one point. They were people, not, yeah. yeah, that they weren't, you know, black or anything. So um, <laughs> they weren't black or they anything. So they weren't like, black, it was okay but it was, it was, it way, was Harlem. Still. Yes, because yeah. I think uh, Alexander foreigners. Hamilton lived in Harlem. Of course he did, which inspired that I can't stand him, Lynn Manuel, whatever. Lynn Manuel Miranda. I can't stand him. <laughs> You have something against him as a person, or do you have something against Hamilton? I have something against him as a creative person. He he took black culture, he turned it into a hit, and then when he had his chance to make a movie, modern-day movie, he managed to not find any black people in a story about Afro-Caribbeans. But go ahead. We were talking about the Golden Age. The Gilded Age. That show. Christine Baranski and that other chick, the lesbian. Cynthia Nixon. Yeah. From Just Like That. Okay. And just like that. Yeah, yeah. And sex in the city. Who's a lesbian and, and, all around this. She's probably going to try to be a lesbian on this show. It's her thing now. It's her oeuvre. But, well, she is in real life. I know, but that's, you know, is that a challenge? I guess not. But she was. Anywho, so <laughs> Cynthia Nixon. That was me getting Eric off subject. <laughs> I really like Cynthia Nixon in this because she plays a different character. Sort she's, of a ditzy. Yeah, kind of dim-witted a little bit. But she's not. Like, uh-huh. Every so often she shows like a little bit of spark of. I know it's her. Right. She's just like, I have to be um, palatable living in my sister's house. When she did it, they were at the luncheon and the niece was talking uh, too much. Talking, And she goes, let someone else talk. It's time for someone else to talk, dear. (laughs) And I was like, ooh, ooh, ooh. I think that's what I love so much about um, 
uh, English shows from the UK or period pieces, I feel like they're uh, when, when they throw shade or when <laughs> or when they are or when they're correcting the someone. Dowager. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like it's it cuts you, but it's done so well that it doesn't require a whole lot of uh, anger. You're in the carriage on the way home before you go that. <laughs> right. <laughs> you just <laughs> like wait, what'd she say to me? The dowager, the uh, the one she always has the conf- the conflict. Down Abbey. Yeah, Down Abbey. The the one she has the conflict with Mrs. Whatever. Um, she Mrs. Whatever says to her, if I was more sensitive, I would say you insulted me. And she's the dowager says, Well, I guess I didn't say it correctly. Right. <laughs> Like I could be more direct. She's got one in every. I can, I could rewatch Down Abbey yeah. almost. You know, I, oh, all the time. That every, I binge all months. the time. I wake up and I'm like, what year is it? Because I've slept through. <laughs> is yeah. it 1914? Right. I have to look at what Lady Edith is wearing. <laughs> oh, poor Edith. Yeah, I know, right? It was like, oh, is she ever gonna get a break? I, but I just I just rewatched it again and I realized she she She's outranked a, she up outranking everyone. That's what bothered Mary. That's why Mary tried to sabotage. Mary her. was a. But you know, you know what? You know what though? So was Edith. Because remember, Edith gave what she got. Like, remember when she broke up Mary's engagement? Because she was just like, I can't. <laughs> I guess I wonder. So thinking about both the Gilded Age and Downton Abbey and these giant homes that these people lived in, which were grand yeah. on a scale that doesn't even Wait, make sense even, right now. Even like probably even movie stars don't have that. Right. Because I mean, just how high their ceilings were and all of the marble everywhere. And, and the classic master paintings but, everywhere. But listen, these folks got up and got dressed and, and, and put on um, <laughs> corsets and and. I don't know how many Bustles layers and, of yeah. everything to come downstairs to eat breakfast. And then I'm going back up to change. And to then dress. It, right. And then they come back down. I'm going up. That's what they call it. I'm going up. And then they go sit in the library. Yeah, so to one entertain. day they weren't all 500 pounds. And then they would go sit in the other room. And then the men would go have cigars. And then they may go out. And maybe. if you didn't have the right clothes, someone would invariably say, I guess you can wear that to lunch. Right. <laughs> Right, you look like you're going to a picnic. And like they still have on a tuxedo and right, it's not right, the right, right tuxedo. Right. But all of that and they never went anywhere. They never wore comfy clothes. I am wearing sweatpants right now. That's a ambitious. That's a amb- well, it's Mina Harris. Oh. Who's it's, Mina Harris? Mina Harris is the um niece of the vice president. This oh. is her wear. Oh, okay, that's good. I yes. like the white girl. What's her name? The little, she's not pretty, but yet she's a high fashion model. What are you talking about? The white girl. Joe Biden's, uh, no, one of them people, the white girl. She was like the media star, like she wore you're the Gucci. Talking, you're talking about the vice president's husband's daughter. Okay, the white girl, the Jewish white girl. Was that anti-Semitic? I shouldn't say that. I don't think it's anti-Semitic. She is Jewish, but I don't, I don't remember her name, to be honest. We'd have to Google that. The later. curly hair, I'm not I, attractive, but yet I've got a certain panache and they've made me a star. Well, that's what supermodels are. Most of them are not like and super the, the attractive. Okay, I need you. Okay. I need you. Cindy Crawford you was pretty. Up. Linda but Vangelisa are... was stunning. Naomi Campbell, everything. Uh, uh, what's the white girl? Most of them were kind of funny looking. <laughs> well, there was the ones, the later ones, yeah. But the, the supermodels, because there's only six. The supermodels. And well, yeah, Beverly Johnson. You know what? <gasps> no, Beverly Johnson was a first. She was not a supermodel. The supermodels she, were, was, she would have been it, considered was a supermodel. She ever, was she ever in a George Michael video? I don't think so. Well, who was a lady in a George Michael video with the blunt cut? That's Linda Evangelista. That's no, no. Or is that no, Tatiana Patiz? I don't know her. Yeah. Well, anyway, there's only certain people we can call supermodel. And Janice Dickinson was not a supermodel. She was a slag. 
I love you so much. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. Ooh. I was the third brother of five Doing whatever I had to do to survive I'm not saying what I did was all right Trying to break out of the ghetto was a day-to-day fight Being down so long, getting up didn't cross my mind Good morning, everyone. I'm, okay, fine. Who's the sexy boring? voice for? What is that? What? I can't have a sexy voice. Fine, I'll start We're over. We're doing politics. Don't start over. Just go ahead. <laughs> You've already there. You're already there. Just do it. So I'm so excited. Are you excited? It's a little too black girl. (laughs) I'm so excited. I just can't hide it. I am a black girl from Detroit. So I'm going to be freaking excited because our first guest. Our first guest. Has just called in. Yeah, national. National guest. Somebody Uh that everybody knows. And if you don't know, then you need to Google. You should just not be around. Yeah. The fabulous Nina Turner is on the line. Hey. Hello, Erica. Eric, it's so good to be with you. Now, oh, Erica, please. I want them to believe everything they read on Google, though. Well, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Just Google to know that there's enough to read and that you're important yes. enough that people can make up stuff. And if Joe Rogan's name yes. is attached, don't read it. <laughs> <laughs> so how are That's you? Right. I am wonderful. And how are the two of you? We are on cloud nine. Okay, I'm going to start here because it's about the point I was making. Nina, Miss Turner, yeah, you yeah. sound way different than I was expecting. Like you're all happy and stuff, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And so I talked to Erica. I was like, you know, for the longest time, I didn't get you, and I think it was because of some of the things that women politicians are forced into. Um, you know, the whole you got to be all strong all the time and stuff, and. Your personality right now is diametrically opposed to what I was expecting. Do you feel like, do you have to adapt? And do you think that black women are expected to be some kind of way, like when you run for office? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I do. I absolutely believe we are expected to be some kind of way, many ways. We have to contort ourselves constantly to fit into other people's narrow boxes and expectations. I will also say that part of my happiness there, if you're here right now, is because I have one of my grandbabies in my arms. And, you know, who can be not happy and exuberant when they have their grandchild? So um, she is making me really, really happy at this time, but in this, in this particular moment. But I know exactly what you're saying. And absolutely, black women, I would say women in general, but black women especially, we have to contort ourselves to fit some type of mold that is expected of us. And if we are too um, aggressive or too passionate, for example, we get labeled. If you are a darker skinned black woman or man, but especially a black woman and you, uh, you, you uh, put out too much energy of anger and passion, what I would say, I would call anger, passion, what people, other people call anger, then you are labeled an angry black woman, how you dress, you know, how you walk, how you talk, all of that stuff impacts a candidate, but especially black candidates and especially black women. So, yeah. So, this is hard. 
So our episode today, because it's February and it's Valentine's month and all of that, we wanted to talk about love and not just romantic love, but the love of our community, the love of ourselves, the love of black folks, all of that. And what you just said made me think about, you know, how you show up in this world and how you show up as a candidate or as an elected official, loving yourself as a black person and your black community, loving, um, you know, your hair, loving your skin, loving your culture, but at the same time feeling like you have to suppress some of that when you are in certain spaces. How do you feel that you are able to express your love for black folks and your love for your your own black family and your own black self uh, authentically and still uh, do the work of an elected official? Yeah, we shouldn't have to choose between the two. And the fact that we are having this very real conversation about times when we might feel like we have to choose between the two is a problem. And that has been the story of our existence at least in, in this country, where we're being forced to choose. I would say that that black love is something that's so deep. You know, there's a fan out there that, you know, there's no, only God's love is deeper than black love. And our love emanates uh, from, you know, how we commune with one another. Uh, love, love actually kept us. We wouldn't be where we are today. And we got so much more to do as, socially, politically, economically, and all of that environmentally. But love kept us. Love is strong. Love is is kind. And, you know, somebody reminded me that even in the Christian uh, Bible, and I know everybody's not a Christian, but when they talk about love, love is the greatest of these. But it never said that love was was easy. And, and that's what this is. It's not easy, but it's powerful. So I, at this stage of my life, don't distinguish between the two, Erica. I got to be able to show my love for my community through standing up for certain public policies. For example, I do believe that we should have universal health care in the United States of America, that everybody in this country, uh, no matter you know where they hail from, how they identify, should have health care. How does that show black love? Well, we know that disproportionately when it comes to high blood pressure, when it comes to diabetes, when it comes to you know all of the things that are negative or that ravage the body. Maternal mortality. Yeah. We, we, yeah. yeah. Infant mortality, right? We 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 have it worse. So that to me is showing black love through public policy, you know. But community love, how you do you mentor children? You know, do you make yourself available? Do you volunteer? There there are multiple ways to show uh, black love, and we show it every single day, from Big Mama to to our children. That love is very evident, and it, and it's stressful too because we know that we have many stressors in the in the black community, many stressors, but through it all, that love is there. You know, on that note, where do you find the strength to keep going up against Goliath? Like, one of the reasons I do like you is you never, like, you don't mince words, and you don't care who you're telling about themselves. And you say it very, like, this is how it is, and Yet, again, back to this whole thing about, you know, loving yourself and loving your community and being who you say you are. That's unusual in politics. Like, how do you, how do you get up every day and go and slay the dragon? <laughs> it's hard. I mean, it is really hard. It doesn't come easy. I've been doing, I've been on this journey or this mission. I, I call it an assignment. I've been on this assignment for a while. 
And it's just, you know, you get really good at what you do on a regular basis. And I don't see this as a, it, it, it's a calling, you know, if you will. And that doesn't mean that it's not hard when you're operating in your calling, but it definitely gives me the, the gumption and the heart and the determination to continue to do it because I believe that I'm working in a realm that is bigger than me. And I am at a stage in my life where I feel as though I got to throw caution to the wind because it's too much at stake. You know, too much is on the line. People are losing their lives and their livelihoods. All of that is on the line right now from climate chaos to people not being able to afford their prescription drugs. Again, we know that all people suffer from this, not being able to live a good life. And so for me, it is being able to speak the truth unapologetically, knowing that the type of truth that I am speaking edifies as much as it condemns. And, and what I'm condemning is, 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 is callous indifference to the suffering of the everyday people of this nation. And yeah, that may cause me to run afoul of some people who don't want that kind of truth told. But when you have one in every two children, for example, in my community who live in poverty, they need somebody to speak the truth and not worry about being invited to the Christmas party. When you have a community where people don't have paid leave, so they can't leave their job if they're sick or somebody that they love is sick, they don't need somebody to worry about whose feeling is going to be hurt or who's in the White House. They need somebody to say, we can and we must do better. So it has come over time, and I do bring, I mean, we, we're in Black History Month. We're talking about Black love. I must tell you, I do bring the ancestors with me, all of them, both the ones that are known and the ones who are unknown to strengthen my resolve because every time I get weak and I get a little weary and I think about how they are going to come after me, I think about the hell that our ancestors caught. And even some of our foremothers and forefathers who are still walking on this earth, what they had to do to try to ensure that justice will ring for us and other poor people in this country. Oh, Jada. Jada's not There's feeling that, that right now. <laughs> yeah. She's like, yeah. Grandma is preaching and I am ready for it. Oh, baby. Our producer Brenda knows how this is. Yes. Look, we all know how this is. I don't. Well, you... you <laughs> never mind. I, I think everything you said was, was really powerful. I think that, you know, if we think about voting as a, um, a love language for our community that maybe more people would look at it as, as a, a ways it's, it's not the end. It's like, we don't vote. And then that's the end. That's just like, it's the Valentine card, but it's not the actual act of, of doing for our community. It's the holding folks accountable and all of that. But I, what I wanted to ask you is that, you know, you have run for office and, and, and you continue to do so. And knowing that it is, um, uh, I don't want to call it a burden, but I'm sure certain days may feel very burdensome um, in ha having that support of a community, the support of family. Um, do you have any advice as we are going into an election year and folks are thinking about running? They're ready to put their hats in. Real and they, people. Real people, people who actually do care, yeah. but they are scared to death because they see how folks are talked about. Isn't it interesting, though, that Nina is one of the reasons that people like the Bernard, uh, Bernie, <laughs> um, like she's, they're the reason that normal people feel like they can run now. Like before, if you didn't come from a good family or whatever it is they say. 
Well, most people, a lot of people who run, I have a, a, a crap ton of money or they have a legacy yeah. line that way. But for, you know, Ms. Turner, I was just wondering how, what does that support system need to look like? And, and what advice do you have for folks who are thinking about it, that they are ready to get out there and, and do what you've been doing? Should I, should I own self be true? I mean, you do have to do a lot of self-talk and get deep with yourself about your why. And then once you are truly understanding why you are doing what you're doing, it just makes you be able to endure what's going to come your way. It doesn't stop it from hurting you, but it helps you to endure it a little more. And if you know that you know that you know that you are standing up for justice in all of its forms, whatever your major issues are, whatever you're trying to push for the betterment of your community, that right there will keep you focused even through your pain. You got to do some self-care through the journey too because you cannot pour into other people. If you, your vessel is empty itself. And that's something that I think in a black community, you know, because of our history in this country, that we have not passed down generationally the need for self-care and understanding self-care and what that means to the people who are on the front lines. They got to give some love back to themselves and replenish. For me, I meditate, I pray for somebody else. It might be something different, but I encourage anybody that will run for office, you got to know your why. You also have to know that you have to pour into you. You got to know when it's time to take a break, to refill, to recharge, and whatever that means for you. Is it getting a hug? Is it holding somebody you love? Is it going, you know, getting a, a, a manicure or a pedicure, whatever it is, is it walking in the park, whatever it is to help center you for this journey. That is what you have to do. And especially important for the black community because uh, we never, you know, historically in this country, we were made to be the, the, the workhorses of this nation. And that has been passed down to us from generation to generation. And we can do a new thing just because that was what was what was doesn't mean that it has to be right now in the present. So taking care of yourself as you lead, as you step out there, pray if you believe in praying, meditate if you believe in meditating, whatever takes you there to give you that comfort and that reassurance that the path that you are on is a righteous path. And I don't mean that in a way that somehow, you know, the dogma of, your way is the only way, but if you are fighting to stand up for the downtrodden, the marginalized, the dispossessed, the dis the despised, you are in fact on the right path, and know that there are other people who do believe in you, and not all all the time the people who believe what you believe might not always speak up, but just know you hail from a people whose love lifted us, whose love lifted this country, even in the face of some of the most egregious, inhumane treatment known to humanity. It was black love that got our people through. And it is black love that helped this nation. And, it is, and so that is the past, it is the present, and it is the future. Black love lives. That is so amazing. Um, I wish we had more time and we don't, but I want to ask you one final thing. Um, since it is black love and it is black history, can you, what are three things that you are loving right now? Good whether, question, whether on podcast like that or, one. Yeah. or TV show <laughs> <laughs> or whatever food oh you're God. loving. That whatever. one completed in a blurb. 
I'm I'm definitely loving my grandchildren and my son. You know, they are my my true legacy. I'm loving God's grace and mercy. You know, but by the grace of God, there go I, and just counting my blessings, even in moments where, you know, all all my, all is not well, even for me right now. But I find gratitude. I'm loving the understanding that I have at this stage of my life about how important gratitude is. And then third, I am loving the opportunity to be able to navigate spaces and places that many people may not be able to navigate, but I have been called and, you know, chosen for a time such as this. And I consider myself blessed even through the trials and tribulations to be able to speak a certain truth and to shake up place to shake up the world that's that's what i want to do i want to shake it up for good so i am loving even though all the time it doesn't feel good i am loving that i am this type of assignment and i get a chance to uh, do the things that i do to lift to inspire and to push and i'm loving the opportunity that we got to speak to all you of today. that was meant to say she loves play cousins <laughs> <laughs> Well, she must also love Vegas because I think you're going to be here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's great. Ooh, can I we am. meet you? Can we meet you? Can we meet you? Can we meet you? <laughs> We're I gonna... would love to. I got you must. Eric and Derek, you must. I must meet yeah. you. But yes, I'm coming into your great state. And Brenda, to too, our producer, because she loves you, too. Yes. So I'll bring fried chicken with gravy. So let's figure out where you're going to be, and then we'll let everybody okay. know. Uh, okay. where you're going to be at when you are here so that we can uh, we're hang gonna out. We're going to meet Nina Turner. We're going to meet no, I'm I already, appreciate I've actually that. already I'm met coming, Nina Turner. I mean, oh, speaking just... of love, I'm coming to show some love for a dear friend of mine, Amy Vanella, who yeah, is Amy. on that battlefield too. And so I'm coming to love up on her. Very cool. Well, Eric, <laughs> we appreciate it. Eric okay. is going to like, like be really happy because, you know, this is so cool. Yeah, we got to like, make powerful that women. <laughs> Because that we was the first Bernie delegate ever. Yeah, she was like the first Bernie. <laughs> yes, and first. thank you for that. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the that. The amount bro. of crap I got. Yeah, you Ooh, did. I know. <laughs> I know you did. They were so like, guess what? what? You, I gave you crap. I you was a Hillary. Right. <laughs> you, you, you were right. Yeah, you was. were right. Yes. Yeah, and I, I, you know, Nina, Erica is always right, and I push back on that. But yeah, <laughs> I'm glad he's right. agreeable. I'm glad he's agreeable. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. We appreciate okay, your time. Thank you. And we'll see you okay, when you're I'm here. Look, I'm looking forward to yeah. it. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. That's cool. That's cool. Lift every voice. Play Cousins. I'm Derek. I'm Erica. We're Play Cousins. And we have another special guest today. Yes, we do. Who is it? It's Juwan. Hey. Who's that? He's a leader in the community. Hey. Hey, okay, You're over there. Just stop trying to take oh. the shine. Okay. <laughs> Javon, welcome to the hey. show. Hey, Play Cousins. Right. Uh, yeah. You so can we favor each other. You could actually. I don't think so. You're, you're handsome and Derek is one to be handsome. Derek. Wow. That wow, was right? That, I know. That's hard. So Everything well, just shrunk. I think he can be my cousin. <laughs> I think uh, so. 
We're second cousins. Right, right. Once removed. My mom would let me play with him because he's light skinned. <laughs> All light skinned people look alike. You should right. know. That. Right? And when they get old, like Smokey Robinson, oh my God. Don't put any light skinned babies next to me. It's not mine. I promise you, it's not mine. He's going on Maury. You favor that one. <laughs> So, Javon, yes. tell the folks who you are. Okay. Uh, all jokes aside, my name is Jovan Jackson. I'm born and raised in Las Vegas. I've been providing mental health services to low-income families since uh, 2011. I'm a big advocate in the, the political world, you know, uh, especially around uh, work that, you know, Work in legislation that impacts impacted folks, whether that's through the criminal justice system, poverty, mental health. Um, I'm definitely uh, an advocate for the vulnerable populations and uh, just community and, you know, giving back has really defined who I am and like really shaped uh, the work that I'm doing. And, you know, I could, you know, I pray and hope that I continue to do this work and that, you know, I'm given the will to continue to, you know, give back to the community. You know what I think is cool about Javon? Yes. He's actually, like, later when you're dead, um, people will still talk about you you're, because of the things you actually accomplished. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he, he's living his legacy. Living the legacy. He's creating his legacy. So when he's dead, we'll talk about him like, like what's your name there? UB Blake. Like, what's your name? Who? Somebody in civil rights. Well, yeah. I, 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 Hamer? Someone yeah. told me that I was making history, yeah. making black history. I'm not. I agree. I'm not there yet, but uh, they was like, you're making black history. And I was like, okay. You like, will that's always be big. able to be Googled, bro. Well, yeah. so this is Love Month. Okay. Valentine's Day. So instead of just talking about romantic love, which is also very important, we're mm. talking about the love of the black community, mm. the love of Vegas, the love of um, ourselves. And as we talk about you living this legacy, and that that you are um, creating one of the things I think that is really important for people to know is that you are a first yep you know you are the first well how, how would we say this you are the first the politically correct way to say I'm the first person that's been formally incarcerated to register to vote in the state of Nevada what's the real way to say that I'm the first felon that's yeah. <laughs> registered to vote. Well, and then people, t- and in the political world, it's like, do we say felon? Do you not say yeah. felon? And like, say, people, say say ex- people say ex-offender or ex-felon. Or I never got the felon and ex-felon thing. I never I think really you're understood a felon, that you're a felon, you're a felon so I don't, I don't get the ex-title. Uh, but uh, I'm fine. It doesn't offend me if someone calls me a felon. Um, it, it doesn't bother me. But the correct term is formally incarcerated because there's people who's been impacted by the criminal justice system that haven't necessarily been to jail or been to prison or, you know, uh, they they haven't never seen a prison. So, you know, they're not you have to be a felon to go to prison. But there's people that go to jail and uh, things like that that are still formally incarcerated, formally, you know, been in cages, formerly been, uh, you know, <laughs> affected by, you know, a police officer or law enforcement. So you um, were able to register to vote mm-hmm. um, due to some uh, um, laws that were passed in 2019, right? This was 2019, I think, when uh, the legislature passed laws. I feel like everything before COVID is kind of a blur. Uh, was a it blur. 2018 or was it 2019? It was 2019, was right the, before yes. COVID. So it was July 2019. Because yep. we had a little party. Yeah, we had a little party and we, we actually did something at uh, something in North Las Vegas. and uh, We did it at uh, in front of Soulful Young. 
Yes, Soulful yep. Young. We did. Yeah, it I was a, it was it was a party. When when Javon did uh, when you signed the papers or whatever it was that day, I didn't know you then, mm-hmm. but I was so proud of you because you you were so humble, but you could tell you were pretty proud of yourself. And yeah. it's okay to be proud of yourself, yeah, especially when you change stuff. Yeah. Uh, Why was it important for you to yeah. do? It was important to me because um, I seen the power of voting and it, it made me, you know, from when you don't have the right to vote, you feel like you're less a, of a citizen. You feel like you're not uh, fully involved. You feel like your voice uh, doesn't really have an impact on others. So that day was like almost getting my citizenship back. Uh, I felt like a full citizen. Uh and I felt like, you know, the work that I do would have a bigger impact now that I'm able to vote. Would you feel different the next morning? Uh, the next morning. The morning after. after. <laughs> uh, no, next morning I still felt pretty regular. Uh, I think what what put like when it was time to vote, that's when it hit me the most. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, wow, like it's time to vote. Register to vote. I was like, okay, I registered to vote. But when I went to the ballot and early voted, it, that's when I was like, okay, this is real. Because, you know, constantly I think uh, people that's been impacted by the criminal justice system, we still have these like systematic like trust issues. Like if I vote, the police is going to arrest me. You know, I've been to prison. So if I vote, then the police is going to harass me. So he didn't feel... It didn't feel real until I actually cast my ballot and nothing happened except for my vote was counted. And, you know, but the mistrust that we have with our government, sometimes it it takes people to that extreme to where we don't even, you know, feel comfortable voting. So we could have a whole conversation about um, formerly incarcerated folks and um, the whole returning citizenship um, line, because like you said before, you're a citizen. You're, you're always a citizen. But if you lose your rights, your civil rights, are you a citizen? But mm. then, you know, are people who are walking around who've never been to prison, are we fully citizens? If mm. Do we have all of our rights? Or something's always being taken from us mm. or, or we're being barred from something. And my husband is, is formerly incarcerated um, a person as well. And so what I notice, I think most is the difference in him than I see in other people, and this may be true for other formerly incarcerated people, is that you know you have experienced something that a lot of other people can only try to imagine or what they've seen on television um, and whatever that looks like, but to actually have been there, to actually have been treated in the way that um, prisoners are treated, and when you actually hear the stories, and then when you have to come out and you have to function in, in everyday life, um, just small things can be triggering. And some small things are just, um, I think, I find that my husband doesn't take anything for granted. I think that he's probably one of the happiest black men that I know. And I think a part of that is because he, um, you know, he enjoys life more Mm. because of what, um, he, he went through in the past. How did he not fall into the trap of being angry? Like Javon, you didn't fall into that trap because you're right. Marcus is like positive and like, I'm going to change and do better. Well, it's not even about change. Yeah, because he was wrongly convicted too. So there's 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 that on mm-hmm. top of it. So, um, but I think that but there is still I think a sense of change in yourself and how you view life. And I think there's also but there's yes. something different that I and also had to, be to do. Proud of yourself, I guess, because Marcus is very like her I, husband I, my, is the best. My <laughs> husband is arrogant, so I don't know if he was never not proud of him. <laughs> That's why I understand him. <laughs> I, I don't think it's necessarily proud like. 
you know, we say change, we say proud, but when you're in prison, you don't have the opportunity to change your situation at all. You have to ask a correctional officer for everything, you know, a, a meal, a request, like nothing is in your control. Like you have nothing is like within your power. So whether it's change or he, you know, wanted to do better, it's just like once you get out of prison, you realize you have power over your choices and you have power over your future and you could dictate that. In prison, there's no dictating that in a, you know, eight by 10 cell. And the way that he would describe it is that he gets to feel now that there wasn't um, a time where he felt like he was allowing himself to feel mm. on purpose. Mm. And so to be able to have that back, I think, brings a different sort of love to yourself yes. and a different sort of uh, love for the people around you. I think yes. he loves deeper. And so I wanted to ask you when, when, when you returned home and, and you were reacclimating yourself, how did you fall back in love with the community and with yourself? I think I was always in love with the community uh, before my incarceration. And um, I had a, a, a spot in my life where I had a breakdown and I needed help at the time. And uh, but what got me back into the love and what drove me even more passionate. Now I had these live experiences, you know, for years I worked for uh, worked with a population that was mentally ill. And other than, you know, me learning in school, it was just something I read in a book. Uh, it was just words. It was just diagnosis. Uh, uh, but having the live experience of that uh, illness or that incarceration, like it, it brought me closer to the issue. And it made me understand that it's just not a feeling. It's, a, you know, it's a, a something really like a, almost a sickness, like a real sickness. So it made it brought me closer and gave me that personal ex lived experience because I felt like I always had the heart to help others. But when you understand the same things that someone else may be going through, it it kind of brings you closer to the issue. So when I got out of prison, um, I felt like, you know, this population that's in prison, they don't have a voice and they need a voice. And I've been in that position. and I was like, I want to step up. I, I want to be the voice for them. I want to be that person that's passionate about bringing change and removing the boundaries that they face to succeed in, in this society. Javon, um, when, you know, I've had my problems, and thank God Erica is my play cousin because she basically saved me. Um, but when I went into the, the home. <laughs> the home. The home. You make it sound like I put you in the old home. Because. <laughs> yeah, when I was put away, um, there were no black males around, mm. unless they were, like, security, like, Okay. The, the, the heavy RNs or whatever you call them were black, but there was nobody who I could look at that looked like me or had the same experiences as me. And I wonder, and, and then when I got out, my mom said to me, make that the last time because we don't have crazy people in our family. Mm. And so there's a, there's a black thing. Oh, yes. And there's a black men, especially, you always got to be hard. You can't mm. cry. You can't do this. So as we, um, as we, Go forward. I think we are starting to understand how mental health is. Definitely with black women, we're starting to understand it. What do you think the situation is for black men? I think with uh, black men, we have to realize that healing is a part of black love. You know, uh, bringing healing into our community is, is a form of love and, you know, caring about each other. It's not 
something. It's not a weakness. It's it's healing, and uh, we all need healing. Uh, whether it's spiritual, mental, physical, life always comes with some type of pain, uh, and it's easy to exert the physical pain, but for some reason we neglect that we could have mental pain. So I feel in the black community we need to change the the stigma behind it. It's not it's not weak. Uh, to you know, get help and want to get help. It's it's wanting to get healing, and to me, healing is love. So, I feel we need to look at it in a dis- different aspect. It's it's not someone giving up. It's someone caring so much about the people around them that they want to get the help needed to you know be that you know better family member or that better father or that just better individual in the community. I think that's all very true. I don't even have anything to say to that. I think you spend so much time um, trying to deny feelings or emotions. Or being told to deny them. Or being told to deny them. You know, people did it. They do it to small children. Like, oh, you're not hurt. Get up. You know, or don't cry about this or that. And the only emotion I feel like men are allowed to have is anger. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're angry, for some reason, that's not an emotion. They can just be angry. But if you're sad or you're depressed or you're frustrated, then that's. You're weak. Then you, yeah. yeah. And so what is that all about? I don't I don't understand how you could have uh, a hurt foot and start limping and be like, I know I need to go to a doctor. But if you have mm. something going on inside of your head that you're, you know, you're you're feeling Push off. Push it away. Ignore it. Yeah, it. It's like, like be oh, strong. Yeah. Be grow up, baby. Man. Yeah. Go drink a protein shake right. or something. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It's like avoiding like you, you hear your brakes squeaking, but you don't get your brakes changed. And now. You, your rotors or everything is shocked it's like listen to the signs you know listen to the small signs so it doesn't become a big problem i think it starts in schools we really need to have real therapists in elementary school yes. watching children seeing how they behave mm-hmm. what their triggers are and then giving them the tools and the capacity to calm themselves down or to express how they're feeling how about parents doing that how about parents doing that? Because well, I see too to often, too. I see too often, and I'm talking about our black folks, the love, and I know they love them babies, <laughs> but the expression of it is so violent sometimes with the, don't, you know, be hard, don't be, a, you know, and it just, you know, I, it hurts my soul, like when I see. That's uh, slavery. Yeah. It, I, I will say we need it in schools, and I, I get what Derek's saying, you know, from the parents, but I know a lot of single mothers out there, and by the end of the day when they're done with work and, you know, handling the, you know, the, the house, the, the things around the house, the day is over and you don't have necessary time to teach your child about mental health and, you know, especially if you awareness. don't know about it yourself because yeah, you're having your own mental was, breakdowns right, and you were never taught it. So I know about 75% of people face their first form of anxiety by the age of 21. And for us to have that type of information and don't teach any type of mental health awareness in school is kind of scary because guess what? Our babies turn, uh, you know, in high school, they turn 18, 19, 20, 21. We know they're going to face some type of, you know, mental health issue soon. And we don't address those things. So I I would love to see more mental health in school. And definitely uh, the parents, we have to uplift our, our kids. Sometimes we can't always depend on the government. Well, we appreciate you being on the show is it over? today. It is. It's over. It's over. That's the top fifteen. Man. I know. Actually, we hit sixteen. Oh. Brenda's gonna kill us because we done went over. We always go over. And I don't she'll know. look at me when she's editing. Court. Exactly. <laughs> so, how can people find out more about you and the work that you are doing? Is there is some information that we can uh, put out there for people who want to talk about mental health? 
Uh, yeah. You, if you want to learn about mental health, um, you know, you can always visit me personally at my office. Um, uh, I run an agency called True Family Services. Uh, they have a website called um, TrueFamilyServiceLV.com. Uh, and then uh, if you just want to contact me personally, my Instagram is Jovan Jackson Action Campaign. Or you could catch me on Facebook as Jovan Jackson. That's J-O-V-A-N uh, Jackson. Uh, I'm the dude with the bald head. Uh, so and not the other dude Because there's two of you And I send him a message One time and he's all Brother I appreciate What you're doing But I think you got The wrong Javon Yeah So uh, I'm the one that lives In North Las Vegas so. All black men Don't look alike here Well I didn't look At the picture Well he was light skinned So all light skinned I see he's don't dark So I just wasn't paying attention And Cousins, y'all. Thank you so That's much. That's just my cousin. All right. Thank That's you so much, baby, Play baby. Cousin, for joining us. Hope to see you again soon. All right, now. Thanks, Javon. <laughs> You know what time it is? The stoop. Wow, your voice got really high. <laughs> it's Crooklyn. <laughs> He's so excited. I am. So we have a special guest Lisa to Mosley. hang out on the stoop with us. Lisa Mosley. I the it. fabulous Lisa Mosley. <laughs> Welcome. first. <laughs> Welcome to Play Cousins, where we are full of chaos and, oh and shenanigans and debauchery. I'm here for shenanigans. I knew shenanigans. it. I knew it. A little debauchery, too. Just hey. a little bit. <laughs> okay, so right off the bat. Oh, right off the bat, <laughs> the sexy voice. <laughs> I, I can live downtown. Um, Y'all funny. So, ASAP Rocky and Rihanna, the question is, should pretty people mess with ugly people? That is not <laughs> nice. <laughs> who are we considering pretty and who are we considering ugly? Well, I think in that group, we're going to go with Rihanna as the okay. pretty one. I just want to make sure we're on the but same page. I just think it's weird. I mean, I think his little ponytails are weird because I couldn't take a man seriously with little ponytails. However, Rihanna, every, there's somebody for everybody. And Rihanna and has found her somebody in this man that she wants to procreate because she could have her pick of a lot. Of I would people. be her father to her babies. She wouldn't ask you, though. She would not even notice me. <laughs> but, but you don't know what the inside you know, what people, what their, their bedroom talk, their, their private time. You don't know how they stimulate each other. So here's how this becomes a question, Lisa, for you. Oh, a question for me. Okay. Is it hard for a, that's the question we know the answer, to be a black woman with power, you know, personal power, political, whatever, uh, is it still hard to find a man? Erica found one. Erica found one. I have heard that it her. is. I, I've never had that issue. All right. <laughs> I'm on to the next. Well, because subject. that's not my I mean, problem. No, I mean you attract certain. You attract who you are, and I've never had a problem attracting a man that is what I would consider my equal. See, I've never had a problem with that. Knowing you all these years, I would think you'd be one of those people because you are so secure. Yeah, that I would just. I can't imagine men in general just like I'd be intimidated. Oh, baby, they're out there. I got a good one. <laughs> He is so he is so sure of who he is and so confident. I don't have that. I haven't had that issue. But when I've dated in the past, you know, I've when I wasn't on 
spiritual level where I am now, I have attracted some guys who weren't as confident. They were terrible. My ex-husband was one. We shouldn't have said that on the podcast. This is stupid. We didn't all had some terrible past. You know what? Last and it night. wasn't that it was terrible. <laughs> it's just when you are evolving and you're growing, you just move. You you literally outgrow that person. And he was the person who I needed at that time. But I don't need him anymore. On the subject of black men, let's switch. Okay. Dave Chappelle. Uh-oh. Oh, Let's boy. just admit he's a jerk. I mean, can we? I, you know what? He's, I'm gonna recuse myself. From I want to know more. So, Derek, why don't you tell yeah. uh, okay. the story? But I really hot need off to know the more. heels of his anti-transgender stuff. Dave Chappelle told the city council in whatever little small town in Ohio he lives in that if they bring in affordable housing, he's gonna remove his millions upon millions of dollars investments. He wants the town, I think, to be a to be a little picture of upscale America from the past, but this time a black man owns the town, which I'm not bad with at all. However, I find it really weird that Dave Chappelle, who's always talking about how he asserts himself as a, as a black man, he turns down the money and he can do, you know, I just find him weird in the sense that he picks subjects to draw his battle lines on that are completely antithetical to what everyone praises about him. I mm-hmm. need more information. I saw the article that you sent and it said all of that, that he would oppose it. However, um, you know, it's a small town, so I don't know if it's a town council or a city council, but whatever it is, all these meetings have to be recorded because it's a public meeting. And so I, for me, it was a little bit of a red flag that the report didn't, mm-hmm. uh, wasn't more accurate and say exactly what was said. What were, what was the actual pushback? Because it seemed like they just took little blurbs and didn't really expound on what the issue was. So, cause looking at it from your point of view and what we saw in that news report, yes, it does sound like he He's is a jerk. A jerk. However, mm-hmm. is there more to it? Because we know anybody who has worked in the realm of politics or the realm of public administration mm-hmm. also knows that there's usually a lot of backstory. And sometimes there's a reason why somebody doesn't want something that looks like it might be good, but in the end is actually detrimental to a community. Lisa? Well, like I said, I was going to recuse myself from the Dave Chappelle conversation because I like Dave Chappelle. Well, the, like the, Dave but, Chappelle. Okay, you. Um, I like some of his positions. I like Erica. Um, I think he has kind. I think he's a bit of a target, and so I think people take what he says and blows it up and leaves out a lot of detail, important detail. I, I don't know about the city council thing. I don't know about the, him saying he would take his money out. I would love to hear his his side of that, because if it's just that he doesn't want affordable housing, then that could be a problem. But I would really like to hear more about the story, also. I think people make excuses for him. Um, I'm not saying people don't, but I'm also saying that. There are, we like people that we like. We like certain yeah. things about them. And Derek, you know me. I I can find some good in anybody. Even and that's me. what I that's what I like to focus. Yes, even you. I'm gonna find the good in everybody. And so there are things about Dave Chappelle that I like. There's said that I don't like. Oh, I can't. I should. KCP. Yeah. No. There's some. There are some things that Dave Chappelle has said and done that I don't like. But overall, I like him. And I I would like to hear the whole story. I think he's a brilliant comedian. I think mm-hmm. he absolutely is a social commenter. I think he's brilliant. I mean, mm-hmm. but I think that he's a jerk. So what else is there, Derek? Because he's in charge of all of this raggedy gossip. Oh, you know what? Don't call it raggedy. Couldn't be I'm a better sorry. person in charge. <laughs> right? Tattered. Missy, missy. Yeah. And just in time for election season. 
Governor Steve Sisolak of Nevada said we can show our faces. <laughs> right. We, can, we see how, how much money I spent on these teeth. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> they are very nice. You teeth. know, the mask. The but how do you really feel about that? Lisa, how do you feel about us just being out here naked, showing our whole faces to the world again? I think people should have some common sense. And just because the governor lifted the mask mandate right before an election, that we should use common sense. I'm still wearing my mask. I don't want people breathing on me, and I don't want to be breathing on people. We don't. Same. COVID is still out here. People are still dying. And it's if it ain't COVID, it's something else. Funky it might just, breath. It, I mean, just bad breath. Yeah, yeah. The mask. Just um, people who spit when they talk too much. You know, that's so did, gross. COVID revealed a lot yeah. about how people don't know how to wash. How people don't know how to wash. But what happens when you're talking? You're sitting. I mean, stuff just like literally coming out of your mouth and people are breathing it in. That's nasty to me. And I want to I don't want to do that. And I think in like in restaurants, servers, cooks, all of them should just continue to always wear masks. I was at a restaurant last night um, and none of the folks had masks on. I was me and the person I was sitting at the table with were like the only two people in there with masks. The servers didn't have masks on. So yes. they just went all willing. See, that's just, the thing. As soon as you get um, the sign, just pull the trigger and just everybody take it off. You know what I think? I think it's crazy that we have to have government intervention to have common sense, to push yeah. us and make us have common sense. I mean, for anything else, they sense. wouldn't necessarily listen uh, to a governor and be like, well, the governor said I have to do this. But right. as soon as the governor said that, you're just like, OK, seat oh, I'm free. I don't have to wear any masks. Seatbelts. Nobody complains about seatbelts. They did. In uh, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. And it eventually turned out OK because people got online. Littering. I remember when people threw litter out of their car they windows. They still do. I get very angry about that. Yeah, but this was just different. Why? Because of the severity of it. People were dying, and we were able to see that real time. And I think the other thing is that, you know, wearing a seatbelt, like they're like, it, it took so much time for someone to uh, decide they wanted to do it. But with a mask, it's like, you got to do it right now. And, you know, I think people are not used to being told what to do. And they haven't been told no enough. Mm-hmm. So it's like, We're wait, spoiled. I White have people. to? Yeah. White people. Spoiled. White we are people. very spoiled in this country. White people. I Sorry, but black people have always We're had ju- to follow We can rules. be just as bad. We have our, sh- our stuff, too. <laughs> we have our stuff. We all have our stuff. Like, I think... More than anything at this point, what we need to do is um, have common sense and common mm-hmm. courtesy for people that you do not know what is carrying around inside of them, exactly. whether it's something that's contagious or it just could be that they have something that if you might have something mm-hmm. and next mm-hmm. thing you know, you put them in the ground. But you said something, common courtesy. That doesn't exist. It does. You know, it does, it it does on the Gilded Age. Yeah, I just thank think, you. Are you, you watching know, the Gilded Age? I don't know what the Gilded Age is. It's a show on HBO. It's Probably really good. Not. You I, watch I really it. like yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. I give you my password. But here we are. The stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even his password. It's not. <laughs> The stoop is done because Derek is out here giving out other people's HBO passwords. Oh, I'll take your password. I want to thank Lisa for coming on the stoop. We are going to talk to her some more. She will be a special guest for us in March. We're talking about what in March? It's Women's Month or something, right? Women's Women's History History Month. Okay. So we're going to talk about how historically women (laughs) are so freaking great well women are women and without the you know it's a man's world but without a woman it'd be nothing for a man right or a boy. it really isn't a man's world it's not actually there's something really just because he said that <laughs> anywho so tune in third saturday of every month at 12 noon on kcp no play cousins yes play cousins KCP, on power 88.1 fnm Oh my god. I knew that. We should write it down.
Play Cousins is powered by Make It Work Nevada, a project of Tides Advocacy, produced by Brenda Wee. For more information about Play Cousins, visit www.playcousinspodcast.com.